Corporation is now the ultimate power in the universe. Welcome to the Infected. Welcome. You have descended into the crypt of the Infected. And while contaminations are going up again, our crypt is your own safe and personal escape from daily news and boring mainstream music. In our podcast, we discuss and broadcast the most obscure and authentic music from the mid-70s onwards, basically. And this week, Jeroen and I have selected no less than seven dark treasures to play and discuss with you. We're going to kick off with Psychic TV and the wonderful track Godstar.
the infected. So, Jeroen, this was uh, Psychic TV with Godstar, and um, we just uh, talked a bit about it. And you mentioned that early guitar riff that sounded familiar, right? Yeah, it's something that has been um, the back of my head or the tip of my tongue for a long time. I've been listening to this song for a while, and every time the song starts, it reminds me of something, then I cannot come up with what it is. I had the exact same thing, and I had to do some research to find out where that uh, riff came from. So, let's talk a little bit about Godstar. It's basically a uh, rock and roll tale about the life and death of Brian Jones. Does that name ring a bell? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I heard him mentioned. Yeah, he's the guy that drowned in the pool, the Stones uh, member that uh, that that lost uh, while they were. That's it. Right. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So if you listen closely, if the lyrics didn't give it away, it sure was that guitar riff from Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones. Oh, it's Brown Sugar. God damn it! Of course. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Yes. And uh, ah. we discussed Throbbing Gristle earlier in season one, episode 12, that was called Belgian Delights and Cat's Whiskers. And um, uh, Alex Ferguson was a member of the experimental outfit Alternative TV, with whom Genesis P. Orridge from Throbbing Gristle performed at one point. And by the way, the whole TV thing in Psychic TV in the band name comes from their focus on being visual first and music second. Psychic TV made their live debut in the autumn of 1982 as part of the Final Academy, a multi-performance event dedicated to and featuring William S. Burroughs. Oh, wow. This figure is uh, worth some attention on his own. You know him, right? Yeah, yeah, he's an awesome writer. So in November of 1982, Psychic TV's debut studio album, Force the Hand of Chance, that's what it was called, was released by Some Bizarre Records. Great record company name. That's a good label. Lyrics were handled by B. Orich, while the music was written by Ferguson, and sound experiments primarily created by uh, Christofferson and also uh, Jeff Rushton. And those two later founded Coil. Oh, yes. Another familiar act, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, uh, at this time, the live shows of Psychic TV, because they were quite visual, as I just mentioned, featured a lot of improvised noise elements. So it was kind of like the days of Throbbing Gristle, quite experimental and noisy. But a few years later, into the second half of the 80s, Ferguson and P. Orich completed their third proper studio album, and that's Allegory and Self from 1988. And that's uh, also where this track is on. Yeah, later on at this time, P. Orich and the band became interested in acid house and techno movements. And you kind of hear this album going um, a bit more to the mainstream and poppy route, because it's quite catchy and radio friendly at the same time. And Godstar sounds very much of this time as well, but mixes uh, some classic rock angles and even explicitly name-dropping the Rolling Stones here and there, which the band is aping and copying to a certain extent with this song, but uh, with a gothy, new wave feel to it. Yeah, yeah, now I, now, now I get what, what they did um, with the, uh, uh, the... There's sort of an inverse guitar solo inside the song where obviously the Rolling Stones uh, would have played a guitar solo. They're doing sort of, sort of an inverted version of it where they have this sort of weird echo-like effect. Yeah. But uh, that, that could have been the bed for a solo, but they left out the solo, I guess, intentionally uh, because uh, Brian Jones also got missing. That's a great observation. It's around the two-minute mark. Yeah, yeah, 2.15, yeah. Right? Yeah, your kind of echoey uh, break. The track proved to be the Psychic TV's only uh, one and only hit, and the P. Orridge claims its popularity was overshadowed by the Rolling Stones' management ah. that were coercing the BBC Radio 1 to stop playing the song because of uh, the obvious uh, Rolling Stones mentions. Yeah, yeah. 
I think the Rolling Stones don't like anybody talking about Brian Jones that much anymore. They try to bury that, right? <laughs> so uh, this this must have been painful for them. <laughs> yes, yeah. So they were they were trying to stop this song while it uh, definitely gained some traction. It's a fun '80s spin on a older rock sound of the 60s and it also showed bands like their Stone Roses and Primal Scream the way to the dance floor with this poppy kind of mainstream accessible sound. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's true. I definitely think they got, insp- got some of their inspiration from this. Cool. Glad you liked it. Yeah, it's it's a nice song, definitely. I'm just so happy that you told me which, which riff that was because uh, that was really getting on my nerves. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes. Uh. I know the feeling. So yeah, we're trying to uh, be a bit original every now and then, although uh, um, I, I see in the playlist that we have uh, something uh, coming up again from 1980 that I think a lot of people will recognize, but um, that's for later in the show. Uh, a little cliffhanger for you there. Uh, first, I want to make a little excursion uh, to a guy called James Holden. Not a typical name that you would associate with the goth or your new wave or post-punk genres. He started out as a trance producer in the early 2000s where he built a reputation as the master of euphoric melodic trance music. Hmm. And then he got really, really popular. But instead of just churning out more similar floor fillers, he has gone on a personal crusade against dance floor conservatism uh, by doing spiritual mixes, uh, loosening the timing of his tracks and uh, getting a multicultural angle with lots of different collaborations into his music. So it's become much more interesting than, than where he started from. I'm intrigued. This actually is from an album called The Animal Spirits, which is an album full of these collaborative projects uh, where he expands his live setup. And it doesn't even resemble dance music in the traditional sense anymore. The album was recorded live in one room in a London studio. Single takes, no overdubs, no edits. So almost a jazz-like live feel. While his modular synth is still leading, you can hear the other improvise live while Holden is more of a band leader rather than the producer or the frontman. And you can hear it in this track. This is James Holden with the Animal Spirits, each moment like the first.
So Jeroen, I really like this one. And um, I believe that the very first episode that we did was about uh, where's the boundaries? What, what do we want to feature in our podcast music-wise? So it has to be dark, but it can be modern, can be old. And this is a purely instrumental synth-based track. I think it's very well put together for something that was made live. It's five minutes long. The story that's been told is, is great. You can only hear it that it was made live by the filtering that they did. Like some high-pass filtering of some cutoff frequencies and some, some subtle differences. But it never gets boring. I think it's a perfect mood for a night like this. I don't know where our listeners are around the world right now. It's a Wednesday evening. Perfect mood. Yeah, it may not be mixed perfectly. And some sometimes you can hear people react. But I love the live feel of the track. As well as the uh, arpeggios that Holden plays. Yeah. Which bring a beautiful melancholic atmosphere to the song. Right. Slowly evolving beautiful song yeah yeah the, the instruments on the album are special as well as you will hear saxophone cornet uh, gaita table drums it's not your standard bunch of electronics either uh, the whole album the animal spirits is absolutely worth a listen recommended i'm gonna make the shift to a belgian post-punk band so we're gonna take it back to the end of the 70s early 80s again after this refreshing electronic break i'm gonna talk about the names with the song Night Shift. We're gonna play it later, but maybe I can talk a bit about it. So the names, you know them, Jeroen? No, I never heard of them. Now me neither, didn't hear of them until recently. They started out in the winter of 1978 as The Passengers. Also not familiar to me at least, but they quickly gained attention from a local press. It was a good band, I think. And one year later, after a series of successful gigs, they recorded the first EP that attracted the interest of a Manchester label that was quite prominent and you know factory what label that is Jeroen factory has to be has to be (laughs) you can guess yes these Belgian post-punk guys uh, attracted the attention of factory records so they must have done something right (laughs) and their first serious studio sessions uh, at their Stockport Strawberry Studio that's the one by Martin Hannett was the single Night Shift well it got enthusiastic reviews in the UK and also abroad it marked the start for a long and fruitful collaboration between Martin Hannett and uh, The Names. And this single was representative of the, their overall sound. So it was dark, it's modern rock in a similar fashion as Magazine, uh, the Comsat Angels, early New Order, but still dark. Yeah. And with this recording and high impact stage performances that they did, The Names achieved the status of a cult band in the post-punk scene. And their first album from 1982, that was called Swimming, found a certain popularity. And it also benefited from the factory connection, obviously, because if you're a factory band, you get exposure. But it failed to elevate the band into a higher commercial plateau, if you will. So indeed, times were changing. And in 1982, saw a rapid thaw in the cold wave, which had frozen the alternative rock scene since the turn of the decade. So great white hopes such as Wire, Joy Division, Magazine and Joseph K were long gone while the stars of others faded as the radio began to play different tunes. So at this time New Order released their album Movement and The Cure did Pornography but by the close of 82 however the bright new pop of Temptation and also Let's Go To Bed had appeared as singles and even Cabaret Voltaire were beginning to flirt with the mainstream. Matters were made worse when drummer Luc Capelle, the Belgian, yeah, Luc Capelle, that's why you pronounce it, I guess, 
was injured in a motorbike accident soon after uh, their album uh, was released, Swimming. And sensing that the writing was on the wall, the names struggled on against their demise in 82. So they just existed for, I think, three or four years, that's it. But in all honesty, the names, I like them because of just this song, Night Shift.
also another discovery um, again on this show. I, I hope uh, for you guys as well, because these are the kinds of surprises that we like to serve, right? Pleasant surprises, pleasant songs, bands I haven't heard of. Um, I try and uh, um, you know find stuff which is interesting, but uh, hope you definitely also a master at this. I love the names. Um, also very interesting to hear that they were produced by Martin Hennett. Uh, of course, we uh, we discussed him uh, last uh, last week. Uh, crazy animal. <laughs> totally crazy, uh, very intense uh, producer. Uh, the guy from Joy Division and the Factory label. Uh, you can think you can hear his signature sound uh, definitely in this song. What I like is the, the the sort of sprinkles of synthesizers that sort of lightly cover the track and um, give it, uh, uh, I don't know, just a, a, an extra dimension. It's a very, very nice song. Thanks for sharing, man. It was a nice find. I didn't hear of this a month ago. So what I do, I like to listen to uh, some mixes on Mixcloud. Some people I follow there, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, and uh, you pick up on some new or, well, old discoveries. Yeah, it's very helpful. So this was from 1982? 82, yes, sir. <laughs> The Infected Trifecta. Indeed, it is time for our special feature, The Infected Trifecta. Shortly we will play three songs that share a certain connection. If you like a puzzle, see if you can find how they are related. The connection could be anything, for instance a lyrical theme, something to do with the band members, instruments, anything goes. We'll introduce the first song, then play all three back to back. See if you can figure out what the connection between these three songs is before the end of the back to back section. We'll tell you right after. This song is called 11 O'Clock Tick Tock, and it's by U2. This is from the Boy album recording era, but although the studio version was released as a single, it didn't appear on an album until it was included on the 2008 remastered edition of Boy. So it was recorded at the time, but never originally appeared on the Boy album. And the song is written by a then 19-year-old, shocked Bono, inspired to write these lyrics after watching a show by the psychobilly slash punk band The Cramps in London. 19 years old, you say? Yeah, yeah, that's when he wrote this. <laughs> Bono says, It was the peak of goth, and the gig was filled with candles. Voodoo was the order of the day, there was the atmosphere of black mass, and I was thinking it was the night of the tragically hip. There was a lostness in the looks on their faces. It was that grave, that sepulchral makeup, white face, dark eyes. It felt like the end of the world. To a very young boy from the suburbs of Dublin, it seemed like there was no life there at all. But there might have been more humor than I was capable of spotting at the time. <laughs> you can only imagine this young guy coming over from, from Dublin, coming over to London, you know, getting into the scene and uh, seeing all these goths going crazy at this candle-lit goth mass. Must have been a shock to him. Yeah. Maybe you can guess who produced this song, Gauf. Was it Martin Hannett? Yes, it was Martin Hannett. No fucking way. Yes, yes, yes. Seriously? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally snuck this up on you. It was an easy guess because we just talked about the fucking guy. Yeah, yeah. But this, I couldn't... It's why I programmed these songs back to back. Really? Cool pick. Yeah, so huh. he also worked with Joy Division. He's prominently featured in the movie 24-Hour Party People, which we discussed last episode. And along with the B-side, Touch, this is one of only two songs Hennett ever produced for the band. And I guess Hennett may have been a bit too intense for these young Catholic Irish boys. No sinners on the album. So after recording these two songs, which were the first single, Steve Lillywhite would produce the rest of the songs for the debut album Boy. And there you have the reason why this song wasn't actually on the album, because it was a Lillywhite album and he didn't want the Hannett songs on there. Cool. So why I've chosen this song specifically is because this is actually probably the first thing they, they recorded proper when they, when they went to England. 
And in this song you already hear the complete signature U2 sound. You can hear the Edge's guitar sound which came from running his guitar through a cheap echo unit called a Memory Man and he's been using that forever after. This gives him this distinctive sound that makes his guitar play so recognizable. And you hear the snare drum being, being played in a very specific sort of a tambourine-like uh, military style. Uh, you hear the flageolet notes that the guitar plays. All of those are classic elements of the recipe that you two would be using for the next 20 years. And it's all there already in this first production, in this first single. I thought that was uh, very, very interesting to hear. So here we are, 11 o'clock TikTok.
the, the infected, infected trifecta.
the infected trifecta. So this song concludes the trifecta. I think you may have guessed what the connection between these three songs was. Hoof, did you figure it out? It's a numbers game. 
I picked up on a lot of numbers. U2, 39 steps, the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. So this was uh, the 80s by numbers, you could say. First of all, uh, let's talk about the 39 steps. Yeah, let's do so. And also, uh, for our listeners, what do you think of the trifecta? You got some theme suggestions. Uh, please spit it out on theinfected.nl. But the 39 steps, yes, stay faithless. Uh, the band name must be inspired by a book from 1925. I looked on the web what 39 steps would possibly come from. It's a book and Alfred Hitchcock also made it into a movie in 1935, The 39 Steps. It's about an accused but innocent man on the run in London. Anyway, the band 39 Steps was founded in 1983, so also in the 80s, after a man named Chris Barry returned to his hometown of Montreal from a two-year stay in London, where he was playing music. And upon his return to Canada, he was eager to start a new musical project after soaking up all of the emerging goth scene in London. And uh, he invited his old bandmates from the 222s. <laughs> the 222s? <laughs> yeah, the 222s. Two, two, they existed uh, previously. Another number. Yeah, yeah, and a great name as well. Love it. Even though the trifecta wasn't enough. Here you go again, the 222s. Two, two, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, he invited his old bandmates to, uh, to join him in forming 39 Steps. A little over a year later, they were invited by Woody Allen to appear in his multiple Academy Award winning film, Hannah and Her Sisters. Never seen it. Kind of like Woody Allen films now and then, but they've never seen this one. Anyway, you can see the band playing in the classic scene where Diane Wiest brings Allen to hear the group. And she says, don't you realize you're witnessing genius? Wow. <laughs> and in the film, Allen, Woody Allen is less than impressed with 39 Steps uh, musical gifts. Mm. Instead, he's concerned about his physical safety because the crowd is going wild. And you can hear about this music. Uh, there's a lot of energy going on. Really? Well, it doesn't sound that violent, but uh, okay. In live performances, uh, they were known that there was a lot of fighting going on in the audience by... Uh, Performances of 39 Steps, yeah. In 1986, their indie debut album Slip Into The Crowd was picked up and released on RCA Records uh, in the United States and Canada with also accompanying uh, music videos on some songs. And after this record, they recorded a follow-up album recorded in Debbie Harry's home studio in New York. Debbie Harry from Blondie, obviously. Oh my God. Yeah. I would love <laughs> I would love to record in Debbie Harry's home, um, especially if Debbie Harry would be around in her home. I mean, that must have been amazing, right? Yes. These guys have all the luck. They, they're featured in a, in a Woody Allen movie. They record at Debbie Harry's home. How the hell have I never heard of these people? Yeah. My God. You got the same feeling, got the same feeling. No, I've never heard of them before. 39 Steps uh, did enjoy a considerable amount of commercial and critical success for a band of their type in the 1980s because there were a lot of those bands. And they were a supporting act for groups as diverse as The Cult, we know them, GSL Sanctuary, etc, etc. But also The Kinks, The Psychedelic Furs, and at one point even Meatloaf. Talk about diverse, yeah, that is a supporting act for Meatloaf. <laughs> Before uh, being kicked off the tour for allegedly ridiculing the headliner to his face. Oh yeah. So they made, a f they made fun of Meatloaf, they got kicked off. That's bunk, ladies and gentlemen, right there. They disbanded in 1991 after a severe legal battle with their record label. That's 39 Steps. That's all I know about them. <laughs> Great story. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> they made waves, man. They, they definitely made some waves during their time. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> waves in a new wave, dark wave, they made waves. Yes. The, the infected trifactor. So the other song we heard uh, immediately after was a song by uh, Killing Joke, which is called 80s. So the last number of the uh, trifecta. It appears on the album Laugh. I nearly bought one, which is from 1992. Again, just like the previous track, another nice bridge, Gove, thank you. Mm-hmm. The lyrics for this track, written by Jess Coleman, the lead singer of Killing Joke, are inspired by a novel. Yeah. A very old novel in this case, The Coming Race by the English writer Edward Bullier Lytton. And he wrote that book in 1871. Hmm. And actually you can hear the direct reference to the book in the line, I'm in love with the coming race. Um, But actually this book is about an undiscovered race that lives underground and has superpowers. In an interview, Coleman explained the song's meaning and he said, it was looking forward to the transhuman future that is upon us now. Nirvana actually stole the guitar riff of this track for their 1991 hit, Come As You Are. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So this is obviously a copy, and it is so obviously a copy that Killing Joke considered legal action, but then Kurt Cobain died and they didn't follow through with the lawsuit. In fact, Dave Grohl and Jess Coleman later became good friends, which resulted in Grohl playing drums on their 2003 Killing Joke album. So the song was written in a farmhouse in Switzerland that the band came across when they played in Geneva. They loved it there, and the band members came back several times. This is where they come up with this track. Coleman actually remembers hearing Georgie Walker playing the guitar riff for the first time when he was just going upstairs to his room. When he knocked that riff out, it was so memorable, it kind of embodied everything that was happening at the time, said Coleman. Well, man, damn, that riff is catchy and energetic as hell. Also, uh, this was combined with a video clip, uh, which you uh, which you saw as well, uh, and it warns against the dangers of authoritarian politicians. Uh, but in this video, Jazz Coleman, a singer, is shown as a leader speaking in front of both Russian and American flags. And the video footage includes shots of various political figures, uh, a shot of Jazz's melting face, a dog wedding, and some Killing Joke fans waiting outside of the Hammersmith for a Killing Joke show. And in another warning against totalitarian regimes, just to make sure that you know everybody got the message the album cover of laugh i nearly bought one is an image featuring a group of nazis bringing the zeke heil salute being blessed by the pope cool story <laughs> and superimposed over that image is the the title laugh i nearly bought one wow <laughs> sounds like a sick uh, album cover I, I thought i got this track on one of the albums by uh, killing joke but it was a uh, i think a different album cover it was blue and the the singer was grabbing his face anyway but 1992 you say totalitarian regimes it was the gulf war era right so it was kind of born out of the kuwait conflict saddam hussein uh, gulf era perhaps yeah yeah that you know war always inspires good music yeah ministry made some nice tracks in that time at that time as well yeah and the human league with lebanon yeah there's it, that's a very explicit example but yes i have to agree great one <laughs> to finish off we have a special contribution tonight from faraway Lima, Peru. Yes, we're very happy to have fans listening to The Infected all over the world. And it was a pleasure to discover that Jorge from Lima is not only enjoying our show, but actually had a great suggestion for a track we should play. And I do have to say it's an excellent choice. This is a song by a French post-punk band that was quite active in the late 80s until early 90s. They're also a favorite of ours and therefore part of several of our personal playlists. 
And now we'll leave the stage to our friend of the show, Jorge, to introduce to you the final track of tonight's episode. Hi guys, this is Jorge from Lima, Peru. I just wanted to thank you for the excellent work you have been doing with the show. It helps a lot in these times of social isolation. This is a silent party with pure joy in my heart. Stay safe, stay strong, and keep listening to The Infected.
Jorge, thank you for this great, great tip. And uh, we featured Asylum Party also in the summer special. That was the very first episode that we did in season two. It was a music-only mix with no talking. But I didn't hear of this track, uh, so thank you for putting it on our radar. And I really, really enjoyed it. You'll be hard-pressed to find anything on Spotify, but uh, YouTube does have uh, a lot of tracks in decent quality as well. So uh, at least uh, that is one way that you can um, get to explore more of their work. And I do recommend them. Definitely a great band. Totally agree. So, my dear friends and fellow creatures of the night, we've come to the end of yet another episode of our podcast. As always, we have loved making this for you. It was uh, great to do it. Thank you, Gov. It's a great pleasure to do this. It's fun. We get to listen to some great music, talk about it. We sincerely hope that you liked it as well. Actually, let us know if you liked it and how you liked it. And maybe you could do like Jorge. Let us know which song you would like to hear on the show. Maybe even announce it yourself. Get yourself a little guest star appearance. Just use the contact form on our awesome site at www.theinfected.nl. And maybe you care for a t-shirt, a cap or a stylish coffin for your iPhone. You will also find our merch at theinfected.nl. And actually, we have a little secret for you. Only for you, our listeners. Use the discount code INFECTME for free shipping. Infect me. All right, so on theaffected.nl, we also offer custom playlists, a fine collection of all the songs played on the show, some exclusive interviews. We actually have another one coming up, uh, trying to build the suspense a bit here with a great goth band from Finland. You'll also find the show notes with the stories that we just uh, discussed and all the relevant links and pictures. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe. And while you're at it, help us out with a nice rating on Spotify, Google, or iTunes. And that's all for now. Thanks for listening. It is time for us to leave. We are going to go back to where we came from we are going to go back into the night we're going to walk out into the silence and leave you behind <laughs>